Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranla, called but of a gun put into the back of your skull, that's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm Not Here to Hurt You, a brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. They were O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is coming back inside! Leicester have another! Darcy O'Driscoll through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, step and score! And welcome to the left wing. Sinead Kassan here. I'm sitting in for Will Slattery, who's away this week. So it's round three of the Six Nations. Ireland have Italy at the Viva Stadium on Sunday afternoon. In a little while, we'll be joined by Ian McKinley and Keane Tracy. Uh, Luke Fitzgerald is here first. Luke, I'm sure Will probably reminds you about this every time an Ireland-Italy game rolls around. But it's coming up to nine years now since that day in 2013 when Ireland lost to Italy in Rome. You came off the bench that day. Does that still send a shiver down the spine? Uh, Sinead, can I just say it's great to be to have a real journalist on the, on the podcast. Uh, thank you very much. It was a very, very polished intro. Um, great to have you on. Thanks for filling in for us. Uh, yeah, look, geez, yourself and Will love bringing up that painful memory. I actually <laughs> tore my ACL um, that day. So, geez, it was a bit of a crazy one. Actually, at Italy, won it. We played terribly. Um, but we ended up with Peter O'Mahony on the wing because I think everyone that's the got remembers as well. Peter O'Mahony. Ah, Jesus, I'll tell you, it was a crazy game. Yeah, so I came on. It was kind of helter-skelter, great conditions in Rome. They had their tails up. We were chasing ours. And, um, yeah, no, it was a great, um, great performance by them. Well-deserved victory. And I think we were obviously very disappointed, but it, it had been one of those situations where anything that could go wrong did go wrong. It was... Um, it was a crazy. I think Drico maybe got a, a yellow card. I think for for yeah, shooting someone yeah. out of it. I think if memory serves. And I think we were all thinking, surely this is not the way it's going to end <laughs> for him. <laughs> and then I think I came. I can't remember. Did I come on for Keith Earls, who maybe did his shoulder? I think, and I came on for ten minutes. Uh, but you remembered very well, so do you? I remember it well because I do remember. I remember. Um, I would have. I would have. I would have quite strong kind of and a good balance, like on my legs and that, you know. And I would have been able to do like kind of single leg squats, all this kind of stuff. So I was pretty good at all that stuff. But I remember thinking, so I, I made a tackle and I remember I changed. I, Ian, Ian Madigan actually always reminds me. Uh, I asked him for the game. He, he saw me with blades on before the game. And he said, geez, you're not going out with blades for an international match. I said, just bone dry out there, Ian, like for God's sake, you know. And uh, he, 
so I changed the studs. Of course, the first tackle, uh, I twist, I got my foot gets stuck on the ground. I, I, I hear a click and I'm thinking, mm, that's not good. Uh, kind of played on another 10 minutes. But then I said, I brought on the physio saying, you know, what's going on? Sorry, at the time, there was a break of play, excuse me, when I made the tackle, I heard a click, brought the physio on, said, listen, I heard a click, it doesn't feel a bit wobbly. He was like, do a few of these tests. So I did a single leg squat and he was like, you're grand, you can do a single leg squat. <laughs> I, of course, I knew, I played on another 10 minutes and I knew I was, it was, it was done. And I said, listen, you got to take me off here. I'm sorry. I know we've no one left. <laughs> Declan, Declan Kibbe might have to come on at this stage. But um, look, it was, a, it was a sad day. Uh, sadly, Italy have never really kicked on to, to come to this weekend. Um, you know, it's it's been a really difficult couple of years from there. They can't, re- they just can't get that uh, that elusive win, and they look further away from it than than nearly ever before as well, Sinead. So, um, it's a shame that they haven't. I know there's been lots of talk recently about you know maybe new teams coming in and all that. I don't think that'd be right either. I think we should stick with them, or we need to either add teams or have some kind of relegation thing where you know teams can fight to get in. You think maybe Georgia or someone like that, but. Um, certainly, it's a good, it's a, it's a, uh, a dark memory, but it does bring up lots of interesting questions and, and some funny thoughts as well. Yeah, I can imagine. I suppose after Ireland's defeat to, to France, is this game now coming at the right time for Ireland at home in front of a full crowd at the Aviva? I think it is. I think it's a chance for them to settle down a bit. I think it might be a chance for them to play the likes of Joey Carberry again, um, who I thought went very well in Paris. Um, I still have a few things that I'd like to see him, uh, you know, get better at uh, in, in, in that 10 slot. But I think time is probably a key factor in maybe improving those things. Um, plus, I think he's got a very good head and his shoulders tonight. I think he, he looked like he wasn't overall by the occasion. He certainly wasn't one of the guys who, who kind of let the team down. I thought he was very polished uh, at times and very calm. Um, so that was good to see. So hopefully he gets another chance. And maybe we get a chance to introduce some other guys, uh, younger guys into the, into the squad, which I'm sure we'll discuss with our guests coming up. Uh, so I don't want to divulge too much now, but I think it's an opportunity for, for Andy Farrell to introduce some guys into a game where I think Ireland are expected to win comfortably, should settle a few nerves, maybe get a few confidence boosters in for guys who haven't got many caps. Um, and it serves as a, a nice little kind of reset, I suppose, before the English game, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're joined now by Irish Independent Rugby writer Keen Tracy. Keen, Andy Farrell said in November that he wanted the other out halves to try and knock Johnny Sexton off his perch. So going off that, and even if Johnny Sexton is fully fit, how is the likes of Joey Carberry meant to do that if he's not named in the starting team when Andy names the team on Friday? Yeah, I suppose it's the big question of the, the week, Sinead, isn't it? Um, I suppose we're recording on Tuesday. We're not quite sure that the current state of Johnny Sexton's hamstring. I mean, the, the captain's press conference will take place on Wednesday. Some people might have listened to the podcast by then. I think if you see Johnny Sexton up at that you'll have a fair idea he's going to be involved this weekend but yeah look I, I can't see Ireland taking any chances number one if his hamstring wasn't fully fit um, but even if he was fully fit I think there's huge merit in giving Joey Carberry back-to-back games uh, Six Nations starts for, for the first time in his career um, I think he merited it I thought he played quite well against France it wasn't perfect it was never going to be Um but if you want to build depth, I mean, the, the games are few and far between from now until the World Cup next year. And I think this is an ideal opportunity. And um, if he plays well, you know, all well and good. But one of Johnny Sexton's biggest strengths is uh, hitting the ground running after layoffs. So I would be less concerned about him not starting the game. I think if he's fit enough, you could bring him off the bench for 20 minutes. And then, you know, he has that bit of game time in his belt before under his belt before... Twickenham in two weeks, which will obviously be 
a different story. I, I still think the gap is significant between Johnny Sexton, Joey Carberry, Jack Hardy, whoever else. Um, but the only way that's going to close it is by trusting, you know, Joey Carberry to start in a Six Nations game that, let's be fair, like Ireland should win comfortably this weekend, but it would just be brilliant for his confidence. Um, um, and yeah, and I think it's a no-brainer really to give him a chance this weekend. I mean, Sexton has said, you know, he said last November they're on a journey that journeys all the ways to the 2023 Rugby World Cup. But look, I'm sure <laughs> that Johnny Sexton will have those arguments as to why he should start this weekend. What would be those arguments that he take to Andy Farrell's door? Well, I think he, he'll think he wants some game time before what is a huge match against England in a couple of weeks' time. Um, and that'll be the main one. Like, no matter who he is, like, we've alluded to it there, talking about why we'd start Joey Carberry and that, you know, the expectations would beat them comfortably either way. Um, but I suppose his thinking is that, like, you know, it's 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 a, it's a nice tune-up before the England game. It's You know, I won't have to overextend myself. You can probably rip me off after 50, 50 minutes. Um, with the game comfortably won and a bonus point in hand and, you know, come to a lead in terms of the points. And then Joey just gets to put the icing on the cake. Um, but I don't think that's right. I think uh, we should be having, uh, we should be giving Joey Carby a second start in a row. We should have Jack Carty on the bench as well. I think he's playing very well and deserve it of a, of a call-up. Um, and I think uh, if a couple of minutes for him would be very um well, I think it'd be very positive, but also very useful for for uh, for Andy Farrell just to bring him back into the fold, get him some minutes out there. So, uh, I I think I'd go that that route with it. I think Keen made an excellent point about Johnny's ability to just come in in big games and perform. Like he's so experienced, and everyone's so used to playing with him there. Even because there's lots of Leinster guys there on a week to week basis, people are very used to his uh, style of play. They're used to his timing. So those things are kind of, it takes less time for Johnny, for like for the team to kind of get comfortable around uh, Johnny versus the other guys. So I think you can leave him off until our, uh, uh, until the England match. Um, and, you know, you'd like to think you'd be able, you know, if he plays in that one, you know, he can back it up against Scotland the, the week after and might, what might be an absolutely crucial game, um, having had more rehab time on his hamstring. So I think there's lots of benefits uh, to going with Carberry. I think it's what they should do. And I think he'd be deserving of uh, a follow-up uh, performance uh, in an Irish jersey based on that um that based on his play in, in Paris, I thought he was really, really good. I mean, I think there's still parts of his game that I like him to evolve on, um, but he won't be able to do that unless his time in the jersey. So I, I, I think he should play definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jack Carty only got a few minutes off the bench. We almost forget about that um, at the start of France the last day. Kim, uh, you know what is the ideal outcome here? It is that we want a le- uh, live rivalry, you know, at, for the tens going to Twickenham. Isn't that what we want? That's the end game in this. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned Jack Carty there and he like realistically, he probably wouldn't have got on the pitch in Paris only. I think Joey Carberry was cramping up a bit at the end. So um, it's amazing to think that that was his first appearance for Ireland since the 2019 World Cup. And, you know, we were obsessed with talking about the succession planning of the out half, but like that's the reason why we are, because you had an out half on the bench going to Paris in a Six Nations game who hadn't played in, in over two years for Ireland. So that's not the way, like Ireland have made mistakes um, in the last two World Cups in terms of the, the, the backup out halves and the game time or the lack of game time that they had had. So Andy Farrell has had a front row seat for that. So you would like to think that he has, you know, learned the lessons. And I agree with Luke. I think 
it, like there's benefits to having Johnny Sexton on the bench and giving him 20 minutes, but how is there much, though? No, I think I, I think there is in terms of you know like fine tuning himself before the before going to to Twickenham. I think he he would like it like despite what the point we both just made about how he's well able to hit the ground running. I think he would benefit from having 20 minutes, but I think Luke is right. I think Jack Hardy would benefit far more than have for having those 20 minutes. And look, it's it's such a difficult one on Sunday because even if Joey Carberry like plays unbelievably well. Like what happens then? Because you know, then you have the argument. Well, it was only Italy, you know, but he has put back to back decent performances together. But you're right, Sinead. That's exactly what Andy Farrell wants in this situation. It was interesting. You kind of started this conversation with me by you know touching on Andy Farrell's comments about he wants someone to take the jersey off Johnny Sexton. And we were talking to um, Joey Carberry last week. Was up for interviews, and that question was put to him and. He doesn't really see it like that. He he kind of has, I think it's because he's been through so many injuries over the last few years that he's so focused on himself and getting on the pitch, just getting games together, then trying to take down one of the greatest Irish out halves there's been. So I think he probably needs to develop more of a ruthless streak. I mean, you think back to the manner in which Johnny Sexton took the, the jersey off Ron Nogara. I think Joey probably needs to to get a little bit of that. But I think the only way he can build that confidence to do that is by getting more game time and in meaningful game time as well. And even though it is only Italy, it's still the Six Nations. And like it's mad to think that before the Paris game, he hadn't started a Six Nations game. I think it was 29 caps he had and hadn't won Six Nations uh, start to his name. So, I, yeah, like I said, I think it's an ideal time to give him back-to-back Six Nations starts because I think you would see the benefits for over the next few months and a couple of years, I think. Yeah, and so it's an interesting it's... one, isn't it? Because I think, like, just start to tie in on that one, uh, Keen, on that point, like, and I'd be interested to hear what you think about this, Sinead, as well. I, I mean, I think if you look at it, like, it... it the, the, the most interesting point I think you made there, so you made lots of interesting points, but the one that really <laughs> I was interested in That's was right. the part about, like, it, he does need to get on the pitch and maybe that's why he seems a bit relaxed. Like, you guys are interviewing him all the time as well. Like, he seems like a very relaxed guy to me, whereas if you look at Johnny Sexton and O'Gara, like, they were, like, they hated each other before they met up in Racing. Like, they were, they were you know, not, maybe not hate each other, but they were at each other's throats. Like the camera was going to Raj when Johnny was on the pitch missing a kick or vice versa when Raj, I don't know, something Raj did poorly, it would be going to sex on the bench and they'd be looking up going like, why am I playing? I don't see that with, with Joey. It's like they have well, a Does he have to be finish. like that, Luke? I mean, you know, Joey's his own player. He has his own temperament. We, do we want him to be like Johnny Sexton in that way? I mean, he's his own person. No, he is. And that's a really good point. Like, and, and look... You can see, you'd always worry about someone like that maybe when you're comparing to someone that we've been used to for whatever it is, 10 years probably at this stage, maybe a little bit more, right? He's fiery, he's really competitive, and it's it shows, it really shows. But as you say, like there's, there's other ways of being competitive. Like not everyone, like the, some of the most competitive people you come across are the quiet ones. And maybe he is in that bracket. Certainly he's proved in the last couple of occasions that he's show, played in the jersey, Um you know, New Zealand stands out. I think he was very good in Paris. That was a difficult day because I thought the pack, you know, the first time in a while the Irish pack have had parity or uh, probably have been on the back foot slightly uh, against another opposing pack. And I thought he dealt with it really well in those two big occasions. So he's got the head for it. He's clearly competitive enough. Um, probably just needs time on the pitch. And just to tie one other thing in on the Carty thing and why I think it would be useful. If we look at that match in Paris, 
that pass, while it might have been a good option, uh, over the top, I think it was to Sheehan, and Sheehan, and Sheehan probably should have taken it. I still think it was forward anyway. They're the kind it of was a mile, a mile forward. You could it was, see it was probably yeah. forward, but who knows? Sure, the French first try was forward, but apparently it yeah, like it was clearly it forward. It depends if the TV director was in the exactly if, the gonna, right if they're going to show the footage. But look, the point is that you'd start doing those things when you don't feel like you have a realistic chance of getting into the team. You feel like you have to do something outside or something special when really the, the key thing for Cardi, when like, like, let's face it, Ireland were on top for a lot of that second half. The key thing for him was probably just to slot in there, play the easy pass. France might have been a bit you know, tiring. The Irish pack, look, they're very, very fit. The Irish backs are very dangerous, I think, when they have front football. Um, I felt it was more of a, a, a time for him to slot in. Whereas if you put yourself into his shoes, he's probably thinking, Jesus, I've got to show something here. If I win the match here for us in this last couple of minutes, you know, I'm back in the game here. You know, I'm, I'm probably something that someone, sorry, that uh, Andy Farrell really has to consider for a starting berth because I've been playing so well for Connacht as well. So they're the kind of things, if you don't have time in there, you'd start doing those things. And that's why I feel like it's, it's probably very important actually to take this opportunity to reward the very good form of Jack Carty for, for a long period of time. And just get him comfortable, get him, you'd like to think after 20, you know, he might have 25 or 30 minutes if the game is comfortably won at that stage where Joey's played in the heat of the start of the match. We're in a good position. He's got the experience of that. But now Carty gets to come on and go, right, now I've got 20 minutes to play. I can just play within the game plan. I don't have to be do anything special here. I can just be comfortable in it. Do you know what I mean? Does that make any sense or is that... Yeah, I mean, you can imagine the kind of pressure Carty felt he was under coming oh. out for those last few minutes. And as you said, Keen, you know, if Joey Carby felt he was cramping up, so, you know, I do feel a bit sorry for him in that sense. But the, I think the ideal situation on Sunday, you know, Carberry starts... In terms of the succession at 10, Carberry starts and then Carty gets on, has a bit more time to be a bit more comfortable, get into the game, you know, get, gets even half an hour, 20 minutes. I think even, I've made this point before, I think, on the pod, but um, I think Jack Carty's cause is really helped now by the fact that Ireland are playing a very similar game, to, game plan to what Connacht are playing. So I think in the past, when Jack Carty was coming in, um, under when Joe Schmidt was in charge, particularly in 2019, like let's let's remember, I think he only made his debut in, in 2019, the same year as the World Cup. So he was coming into an environment where he was having to adjust. He was, he was taking away what was natural because I agree with what Luke is saying, but Jack Hardy still kind of has that kind of in his locker. You know, he, he does have like the kind of the kicking and the, the, the pass. Like he, he, he has that. I can understand why he was playing the pass, but I, I think Luke hit the nail on the head of why he did it. But I think now with the, the framework that Ireland are playing in, I think that will really suit him more. And we just haven't had the chance. Like, I mean, you're not going to judge him on what was it, five, six minutes that he got in Paris. But I agree with you, Sinead. I think if you saw him for 20 minutes, I think you could see a different Jack Harty for Ireland because like, he's been playing so well for Connacht all season. Like I said, it's a big step up to, from, from club to international level. But yeah, I, I think it's, it's there for him really to, to push on within this uh, structure. Okay, now, Keen, in your article in the Irish Independent on Tuesday, you named the team you would like to see selected. Um, so in the pack, you had Dan Sheehan, and there's Ash Hooker, you had Ian Henderson in the second row uh, with James Ryan, and then Ty Byrne at six, Josh Van der Fleer staying at seven, and Caelan Doris at eight. Why does Jack Conan lose his place? Yeah, it's harsh. I'm a very harsh selector, Sinead. Um, no, look, I, I'm a big fan of Jack Conan. Um, I think he's been absolutely outstanding over the last couple of years. You can think back to how well he did on the Lions tour. 
one of the very few players to enhance his reputation and what was a really turgid tour. But I don't think he's been at his best in the first two rounds. I think like he's a really honest guy. I think he'd probably be the first to admit that. He's been taken off early in both games and they have gone to Caelan Doris at eight. Um, I just think it'll be interesting to see. I think Andy Farrell would definitely be keen to get Ian Henderson some game time under his belt because I think you want him in the second row going to going to Twickenham. Um I think Ty Byrne is undroppable at the moment. Um, his form is so good. Like he's after being rewarded with a central contract now as well, which just goes to show how far he's come from, I mean, delivering pizzas and thinking of going into real estate a few years ago when he left Leinster. So, um, and I still think that Caden Doris is the, the best Irish number eight. Um, I mean, He's playing six, he's playing out of position, but I think in time, Caelan Doris will be Ireland's first choice, number eight. So it's it's actually no slide on Jack Conan at all. I would just be interested to see how that back row would go. I think, interestingly, Andy Farrell did play Tyburn at six last year, despite the fact that he has been used mostly for Ireland in the second row. So I wouldn't be surprised if they went with a back row like that, because uh, like I said, Jack Conan has come off early in the first two games and they have gone with Doris back to eight. So I don't know what you think about that, would you? What do you think? I think, he's been, I think he's been quiet. But actually, if you look at the Paris game again, Doris actually played worse. Did a lot yeah, of handling errors. I actually thought Doris played quite, like, really tough. A lot of handling errors. Some big ones. At, at yeah, kind of moments. Very unlikely. pressure by the French, though, Luke, as well. I know, sorry, look, definitely. Jesus, sorry. There was, there was handling errors across the pitch. And actually... It was it was interesting. Like I think they they struggled a little bit with the French line speed and pace on them, and the way the French the decision making at, at ruck time. Now I think the referee was very poor. I will say that. Like he let them he let the French guys have a little nibble at the scrum half all day. That really annoys me because it just all your timing, all that kind of stuff goes out the window when you all have to reset again. You know because like it, it, I thought it was it was crazy. It's like they were testing the offside line loads it's okay you know i sorry i i I go back now it's fine but like all the momentum is gone so there was a lot of that kind of carry on as well but leaving that aside the french pressure um was i I think it had an impact i think lots of guys were a little bit nervous it's a big stadium it's a tough place to go there was guys overrunning things there was bad passes there was bad catches like there was guys just not catching the ball sometimes and we actually had lots of very good opportunities and i actually felt I felt Cohen was actually a bit unlucky a few times. I felt like he was the next pass for lots of them, weirdly enough. I know that sounds like a... I remember looking at him at one stage and you could see him going, Jesus, like someone made a bad decision on the inside of him again. I felt like he just couldn't get into the game. Um, so I do agree with you in that we probably haven't seen the best of Jack Cohen. But interestingly enough, I have a different view on that game in Paris, even though I thought uh, Doris mixed it up very well physically. But he had a few bad errors that if they look back at the match, I think he'd be saying, hmm... Do you know what? That put a bit of pressure on us in the first 20, particularly the first 25 minutes. He had a few bad ones. So, um, yeah, look, I think it's an interesting one. He definitely should shake it up. I agree. I actually would really like to see. That what would your back row be, uh, Luke? Yeah. My, my back row, I think I'd, I probably would have burned there, but I might have burned there all the time anyway. Um, I just, the, the problem for them is that who do you drop between Conan and. Um, uh, Conan and Doris, which is a very difficult decision to make. Like, I mean, look, Keen sounds like he's ish lean in one way and I could see that I mean Doris has been brilliant for a long time uh, as well um, but yeah like there might be a better balance to the team and I feel like if you're playing bigger packs sometimes I think that Burn would be lovely to have in there like he's kind of got he's not really like he's not a big international second row but he's a he's quite a big number six I think 
Um, and he's great in the line. It gives you a great option there as well. I kind of feel like sometimes, even against the French, I was thinking, would it be nice to have someone big back in there in that slot? Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's probably where I'd go. I'd agree with you on that one. Uh, I think I might try and give someone... Definitely on the bench, I'd like to see a few young guys, particularly in the pack. You know, I'd like to start off with a strong pack, get Joey or whoever's in there at 10. You know, a, a good start with the starting guys, everyone who's comfortable, who's playing well, get the team on the front foot. I think that's kind of important. But certainly when you're bringing on your parties, that, you know, in that kind of period where you're expecting you should be in a good position, I'd love to see, I don't know, an Auburn like a Timoney or someone who's playing but someone like that on the bench maybe maybe even a Coombs Coombs was excellent I watched him in Glasgow a couple of weeks uh, like he is playing great rugby as well so I got to see a few of those guys in it was a bit of a shame that uh, Tom O'Toole got injured he's out of the squad now because um, he's been playing well for Ulster so there's a few of those names there today that I'd love to see I'd love to see maybe a little bit of a tinker on the bench um, and maybe go with a fairly very strong starting pack with maybe that one change I think that does make sense Keane Yeah I, I think I, sorry, Sinead, I, I think that is the, the point I was trying to make within the, the piece. Like, So I agree with you. Luke, and I, I will reiterate that I really rate Jack Conan, like super, super high. But if you were going picking between Doris and Jack Conan for this weekend, Luke, there, in my mind, there's no point in putting the guy who's not starting on the bench. I think you have to have a guy like Gavin Coombs or if you prefer Nick Timoney. But I think Coombs is, is really built for, for international rugby. He's had a really tough start to the first half of the season. He got caught up in COVID. He was stuck in South Africa. He was one of the players with the Monster squad. So, like, his physicality is, you know, something that Arden could really do it. And I think that was an issue in Paris that we didn't really get um, enough from the bench, I didn't feel. So, I think you got to start looking to, to get these guys in, even like a guy like Ryan Baird, Craig Casey. Um, I'd be shocked if Andy Farrell doesn't have those kind of guys on the bench. Um, and I think that is the point that you want to... You want to put the like so like that, we'll take Dan Sheehan for example. So he is you'd say odds on to to start his make his first start this weekend with Ronan Kelleher out. But and this is something that Leinster I I feel really really well over the years. If Dan Sheehan is making his first Ireland start, you want to have experience around him to give him the best opportunity to showcase what he's about. So in other words, you have Andrew Porter, you have Ty Ford on either side of him in the second row or in the front row. In the second row, you have James Ryan, a guy who he trains with every day in Leinster, you know, knows how he works around the lineout. So Leinster do it so well when they're integrating young guys. They don't just throw loads of young guys in together. They surround them. Scott Fardy was a great guy for doing. I remember when James Ryan was coming through. Devin Toner has been doing kind of similar role over the last couple of years. So I would like to see a couple of young guys put in the team, but surrounded by experience so that they're not thrown in the deep end, for want of a better term. Yeah, that there is that cohesive structure mm. there that um, they'll be able to rely on. So that's just moving on, let's say, to the back three and who we think will be selected this weekend. James Lowe is back. He had that real crowd pleaser of a try uh, for Leinster last weekend. Does he come straight back in, Luke? James Lowe? I think he does. I, Mark Hansen, very good, though. Very unfortunate. Totally hard. Like, I mean, Jesus, I, I think... Um, like that try was, it was a lifesaver for Ireland. Like, and it was a lovely, lovely piece of skill. Now, like, look, I know if I'm on the other end of that as the winger, I'm going, oh my God, that's so embarrassing on Monday morning. Like, how bad that I didn't even get up. Like, that landed on the halfway line and you, it, it wasn't even in the air. Like, he was trying to take that flat. Like, it was crazy stuff. So, um, look, um, it was a great piece of skill. He played very well. Um, I think this is a game where you kind of say, well, look, let's, 
let's throw the cat amongst the pigeons here. You know, you're not guaranteed. I actually thought there was lots of bits of his defence that were a bit shaky. Um, particularly that first try, he had about two or three bits where he was out of position. He was slightly ahead of his inside man. He he didn't actually, then he wasn't actually hard enough off the line when he had Jameson Gibson Park outside him for the last phase of play. And he also missed the tackle in the one previous, the, the phase previous. So he's a bit to work on still defensively, um, probably being harsh, but um, yeah, look, James Lowe is probably still in that bracket too, but he's obviously shown lots of improvement of late. And I still think he's, he's he was one of Ireland's best players in November. Like he's, very, very important for, for, for Ireland. I think his physicality is something that... Uh, and he's got the ball-playing ability too. We forget that. Like, Mark Hansen, his ball handling is brilliant. We love that about him. But James O has that too. And he's a bit of a he's a bit of a unit. So I, I like having him in there. And I just, I'd like to I'd say, listen, get him in for the Italy game and let's have 10 days of hard training before that England game and see who wants it the most. They're great things to do. The other guys maybe I'd be considering, Balakunas look very, very sharp. Really sharp. Love to see him get a go. Um, be harsh and Con- uh, Conway who's going very well but um, just even it's for the same reason almost you're kind of going to say to yourself like right lads next 10 days let's kill each other and drain and who wants that spot in Twickenham um, and I just think he's very exciting like that top end pace we don't have too many guys that real top end pace and he's a real threat if he gets into the open field um, he's a guy I love to watch uh, and I'd look I'd probably stick with Keenan just because again for, for the same reason that you'd probably stick with Porter and, and Furlong um, just you want to have someone next to Balakun that's just assured in that 15 slot um, and kind of guiding him around the pitch, positioning him well for kicks and different things like that. Um, plus, he's actually a great distributor as well. I just wouldn't bring Larry at this point yet. Um, the, the other guy, look, we're probably moving on, but Hume is a guy we've got to see. I think we have to see this guy in a green jersey, and this is a great opportunity for that. Whether it's on the bench or not, I don't know. Um, but that's probably my thoughts on most of the backs at the moment, Sinead. Yeah, so Mike Lowry, uh, Luke, not going for that, Keane. You thought you think he should be in the team? Yeah, I, and I think Hugo Keenan is nailed on. Um, that's why I picked Andy Farrell's team for him as well. Sort of yes. Andy we need to reiterate that. You also picked the team that Andy Farrell... <laughs> Andy Farrell <laughs> you must have them all in the camp. <laughs> Andy, Farrell can, Andy Farrell can send me the check because I've done um, the check in the post. I've done his job <laughs> for him already. Um, no, the, the one thing I'd say is like... Um, Hugo Keenan has been unbelievably good since he's come in. So he made his debut, scored two tries in his debut, actually, against Italy in October 2020. He he has played all 17 games since then. Um, Started all 17 games, I should say. He's come off. He's been substituted three times. So... He didn't have a good game in Paris. He did a lot of mistakes in Paris. He missed a lot of tackles. He had a few great high ball takes, but he... Yeah, I think he regretted that decision at the end, didn't he, Keane? You were told. Didn't he say as much? Yeah, it was a poor, poor call. Like, I mean, I think his because he makes so few mistakes. When he does, you're kind of like, whoa, geez. Um, he missed a lot of tackles, Kane. Yeah, I know. He, he he didn't have it all his own way against Wales as well. But um, I just think that we don't know who Ireland's backup fullback is. Uh, so when like you know, if this was Joey a World Cup, well. <laughs> can't say that Sinead you get in trouble for that <laughs> he, he's, a live, he, he's a live option he's the last person to play there because he came when he when Hugo Keenan came off against Argentina in November Joey Harbury went back there so he's technically the last uh, other person apart from Hugo Keenan to play there well so. Lowe can play there too uh, maybe the, the guy playing the left wing who just scored a hat-trick last weekend is is, is probably our second best fullback but mm-hmm. it's an interesting point I, I get it I mean Larry's playing like he's geez, he's he's on fire 
think he's and it'd be nice time to cap him as well. It gives you a bit of confidence. I can see that. Can see yeah, that. If, if not this Sunday, when you know, when is the opportunity for him? And and this is it. Like, so let's say if Hugo Keenan Touchwood picked up an injury or whatever, who plays full back going to Twickenham? You know, and we've seen in the past when Robbie Henshaw was thrown at full back against England in the Viva Stadium, that did not go well at all. But so that was never a right decision, even you, before the game. You need I, I thought it was a great decision. <laughs> oh, Shows I what I know. <laughs> You need to you need to figure these things out now, you know, rather than when it comes to the crunch in the middle of a World Cup, you're going, all right, well, who's the backup out half? So, like, I agree with you, Sinead, if not now, when? Yeah. So what areas are we looking for improvement? I suppose, Keen, I think you mentioned it before, that it really was the first time in the game against France that we saw the line out under pressure since Paul O'Connell came in. I know it's a different kind of game, different kind of pressure now this weekend, but what are those little areas, do you think, that Ireland need to improve before that big trip yeah, to Twickenham. I, I think the line-out, I think the scrum, I think the breakdown is the big one. I think the unfortunate thing for Ireland is they're not going to get that test, particularly around the breakdown this weekend, because once they go to, to Twickenham, that's going to be another level altogether again. But um, you saw the you, you saw what happens when the ball gets slowed down, and it's an, an easy thing to say, but Ireland were were playing off such low ball in that first half that it wouldn't matter who your halfbacks were because the ball was just so poor. So um, I think the breakdown is going to be a huge focus. Andy Farrell spoke about that last week. It's another area that Paul O'Connell has made big improvements, but I think they need big improvements in that um, this weekend, like I said, leading into Twickenham. I think the line-out, yeah, like the line-out was under pressure. I thought France did such a good job. Like Cameron Walkie, I think in the second row, is just like such a good player. When we did our... Um, one to watch when we did the Six Nations pull out at the start. He, I, I had him down. I think he's just such a super player and he's an absolute menace at the line out. So Dan Sheehan will be under pressure, even if it is, you know, against Italy. And I, But I think if Ian Henderson comes back in, he's Ireland's main line out caller. Um, I think that will bring a bit of calm. Uh, Ty Byrne has done a bit of it. And I think if you if you do have Ty Byrne at six, then you have... You've got a lot of good jumpers in, in that in that lineup, so I wouldn't be surprised if we do see Ty Byrne play six this weekend. If Andy Farrell is really thinking about uh, doing the same for for Twickenham, because like I said, I think you have to have Ian Henderson in your team. So yeah, I think the scrum. Andrew Porter didn't have it all his own way. I thought the ref, you know, a uh, couple of maybe harsh calls, but Porter was under a bit of pressure against Antonio um, in Paris. Now, he won't face the same challenge against this Italian scrum, but England's, England's scrum is pretty good. So um, they're kind of the three areas, I think, Sinead, the breakdown, the line-out and uh, scrum. But like I said, it'll be hard to know how, where they've made the improvements given the, the standard of opposition they're playing. I saw the bookies have made it 40 a 40 point spread for Ireland so that says it all about how lopsided this game could be this weekend yeah it's not exactly a fixture to get the heart racing a Sunday afternoon Six Nations compared to other fixtures Luke what in particular will you be looking out for I'd agree with all of Keane's points there but I suppose there's one other part I think and again it does tie in what he was, what Keane was saying about the quality of the opposition. But just a little bit of accuracy. Uh, I'd like to see them. They they were so so accurate against New Zealand. Um, you know, just in terms of, of of the wide channels. You know, when when they got the ball, sorry, when they get to the middle of the pitch, they made some brilliant decisions. So the forwards' handling ability was was brilliant. They were getting good crisp passes. Um, and they were making really good decisions there and opening up the whole pitch, and we were able to get into those outside channels. I felt like they were close to doing that against France, but their accuracy let them down. I think 
Uh, yes, there'll be less pressure this weekend, but I would like to see them get out to those places um, and really open up and show what they're made of. Because I think this this kind of strategy that Ireland are kind of uh, employing, this kind of more expansive game plan, um, I think it suits us. I think we've got a very mobile pack. I think we showed that, uh, particularly even against that French team at home in Paris, um, that 15, 20 minutes after halftime, they looked a bit ropey, I thought. And we looked like we were in the ascendancy. If that game had kept up that pace, I think if we'd gone to the corner that time and hadn't let them off the hook, um, they looked like they were tiring to me. I thought their substitutions actually made quite an impact for them. Um, and that little break that they got while you know coming back up the pitch still ahead um, really helped them uh, and settled them down. Whereas if the pace is high and Ireland are playing that, that game plan and executing well, um, and the rook is very key to this as well. Uh, I think that it really suits us. I think we're a bloody hard team to beat. Um, and I think if they can do that, settle the nerves, um, you know, set them up nicely to, to maybe employ the same game plan against England in Twickenham. Hard ask, but that's, I think, how we have to play. It's, I think it's the only way we beat them, if I'm being honest. I don't think we're going to push that English pack around um, at home. So, yeah, that's what I'm looking to see, Sinead. I think there's a few things that will be difficult to um, get right quickly, particularly because a few new bodies in there. But I think this Irish team is in a good place and I expect them to, uh, to bounce back. OK, do I ask predictions in this? Are you going above or the under? The, oh. the <laughs> <laughs> Have the spread or don't bet. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah like big score. Just a question of how many points really, isn't it? Um, but like Luke said, I think fine-tuning elements of the game plan is, is you know, apart from getting the bonus point victory, I think is what, what this weekend is all about. Yeah, I think so. And uh, coming away with no injuries too would also mm. uh, be good before the trip to England. Uh, Keen Tracy, thanks for that. Thanks, guys. Chat to you later. Cheers, Kilo. Okay, now we're joined by former Leinster Zebra Benetton and Italy international Ian McKinley. Ian, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Sinead. Appreciate it. Um, Ian, there's been an awful lot going on in the last week with Italy and their place in the Six Nations. Now, the Six Nations subsequently said it wasn't entertaining any discussion on it. But what was your reaction when you heard the reports last week suggesting that South Africa could replace Italy in the Six Nations? Yeah, I, I don't think it's an old uh, conversation uh, in terms of, you know, promotion relegation with Italy and, and, and Georgia. And this is just something else that, that's been thrown up on, on top of it. So I think, if I'm correct, I think... South Africa's contract, I think, with uh, the championship runs out in 2025 and um, the rugby championship. And I think that sort of triggered these uh, rumors. And, you know, for a lot of people, it probably seems like a natural uh, integration, I suppose, if there have been South African clubs that are, you know, that have um, played that are playing in the United Rugby Championship. So, yeah, I think Six Nations obviously came out with a fairly firm, uh, firm statement and, Italy are contractually in the Six Nations for a number a number of, of years, so I don't think that uh, will be entertained by, by them. But certainly, certainly on the field, performances are 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 poor. Um, and you know, I was watching and commentating on the game uh, against England, and I had a lot of uh, hopes and aspirations, given the the. Uh, glimmer of hope and sort of the defensive effort in Italy and showing a little bit of what Kieran Crowley would um, you know from having played with him sort of know how he he would would organise a team you sort of saw similarities in, in, into what he tried to do with, with, with Benetton and that gave great hope and optimism but the yeah the game against England was not was not pretty at all and I can understand absolutely uh, the frustration from a neutral's point of view and 
you know, for me who, who represented that team, I, you know, I hold great pride in that. Um, but it's, it, it's certainly not easy viewing. And, and it's just the frustrating thing with Italian rugby. You can take one step forward and two steps back. Yeah, look, that's a, a lot of good points there. You know, I think, um, it, do you know that, that we're in a place at the moment where it feels like it's a bit of a foregone conclusion, Ian, you know, and I think um, that's probably what's really dragging up the question, isn't it? So if you're, as you said, like it's the supporters watching it, the neutrals are going to say, well, like, geez, why am I going to tune in for this? Like the spread this week is 40 points against Ireland. And mm-hmm. I'm sure baked into that somewhere, um, the bookies will will probably have a few people who are not frontliners starting in that Ireland team or maybe a bit of a rejig in some positions in the Ireland team. So, um, of course, that spread can change, but that's just huge. You know, and I, I would have thought for a long period of time to start of the show, myself and Sinead were talking about my experience losing to Italy in uh, in Rome. Thanks again for that, Sinead, by the way. But, um, you know, I feel like, the, as you said, one step forward, two steps back. They just It feels like a foregone conclusion playing Italy at the moment. And it shouldn't really, because I feel like the clubs have made some progress in the last couple of years. What's your view on that? Like, what do you, where, where can, can they turn this around? Is it a change of coach? Is it a change of, like, what can they do to change this? Oh, the, the, I mean, I could, I could be here all night in terms of changes, what, what could be made uh, or what could be done. So, you know, Benetton obviously are sort of spearheading the Italian charge on the club front. Zebre this year have been really disappointing. And when you when you only have two clubs, you know, that, that's really difficult when you got the, the majority of your players coming from those two clubs and have won or not performing. You know, there's only been four Zebre players, I think, were initially called in the you know, in the initial Six Nations squad, which is, you know, shows an imbalance as well as to where the rugby, you know, is is at. Um, I, I really do think sort of Italy's sort of at a, a crossroads of where Ireland was back in the 90s. You know, um, Ireland internationally, I think, was a 12% won their international games throughout the whole 90s. And, you know, they had to make a change. And that change was probably done at the end of the 90s and the early 2000s. And, Italy are going with the sort of same French model of, of picking guys that are 30 and under and hoping that they'll uh, sort of rise to the challenge. But it's, you know, Luke, as you, as you well know, I mean, being captured so young, but to go from, you know, out of school or into an under 20 system to then being thrown into senior rugby and not only senior rugby, but international rugby takes time to, to, to get there. And I think those um, sort of, the strategy and, and the teams there, there's no real bridge between um, guys that are coming out of 20s into, say, the Benetton first team. There's no second uh, string teams. You know, I would apply my trade playing for, you know, Leinster A, trying to get a bit of experience to make sure you're ready to play for the senior team. Guys who are 19, 20 to try and all of a sudden play international rugby, it's, it's really difficult for them. So um, there's definitely you know, a lot of issues behind the scene and, and you flirted with the idea there of changing coach. I definitely do think they've got the right person in there, yeah. but one person, one person can only do so much. Um, and, you know, rugby in Italy is, if you were to talk to someone and say, write down the top 10 sports in Italy, you know, rugby would struggle to get into the top 10 in Italy. Oh. That, that's the, the reality of the situation as well. Um, so there's definitely a lot of things that are going against at the moment. And it's, it, it is a hard watch when you have <laughs> minus 184 points, uh, you know, in the points difference last year, that, that doesn't bode well. And from a rugby purist, someone looking forward to games, you want to have a competition and the tournament needs it. Uh, how, how you get back to that is, 
you know, I think takes <laughs> will take a few, uh, not just a simple conversation or you know a simple one one individual to do it. It'll be a collective a collective effort, but it's it's hugely frustrating. But Ian, the potential is there. There was the win for the Italian under-20s a few weeks ago over England, their first ever. The Irish under-20s obviously play Italy now on Friday night. Italy beat them in a challenge game in UCD over Christmas. The Italian women's team qualified for for this year's World Cup as well through that qualifying tournament back in September that the Irish team uh, failed to uh, qualify for. So the the potential is there. Yeah, and I I think people might think I'm a bit crazy when I keep saying that the the talent is there and yeah, all you I mean you've stated perfectly there, Sinead. The under 18s have you know beaten England, Ireland, uh, Scotland consistently in the last few years. As you said, the under 20s and the women's team are are, are pretty prominent. Uh, you know, so th- there is talent. It's just the, the structure necessarily is not not there, and the drop off certainly from school. You know, from when guys finish school or players finish school uh, is is massive. Um, and, and, and that's ultimately where you lose a lot of your players and you also lose a lot of your players in, in, in that bridge between club teams and professional teams there's nothing bridging that gap so you know I, I remember say my last year with Treviso and I wasn't playing many games but normally you, you would try and um, you know you, you would try and stay sharp with uh, your club games or you know uh, second string games or whatever just to keep uh, on top of things, I remember, I, I think I was picked to play against Leinster in the Heineken Cup, hadn't holding a tackle bag after six weeks, you know, holding a tackle bag for six weeks. You know, you need that sharpness. And I think you you see it as well. Italy have sort of built up a few injuries at the moment. And I think that, you know, they're calling on young, really, really young players that are coming through from a Roman club uh, who have had no exposure before. And that's, again, Ireland has had to build that up. And now you've got world-class players in most positions and been able to back up that. Italy is still lacking just in that. But definitely, when you've got players like, you know, Paolo Garbizzi, who plays for Montpellier, who are in the second division, or sorry, who are second in top 14, Marco Riccioni, who's out injured, you know, uh, starting for Saracens, uh, they are quality young players. And they are there. It's just making sure, it's just making sure that the system sort of fits around them at the moment. And it's, it, 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 there just seems to be some disconnect. It's a, it's a great point you make because I think Scotland is a good example of that now. When you see, either, look, there's probably been some improvements at the top level, um, but, you know, Edinburgh and Glasgow are really firing this year in the league. And you can see, I think it's really, you know, obviously they had a disappointed weekend um, last time out against Wales, but it was still a very close run match. And that's a bloody difficult place to go. Two years in a row beating England. I mean, I think they've definitely made strides, no doubt about that. And, and an impressive November. So you're right. It makes it very difficult when Zebra aren't really... Um, I suppose, providing any players or providing maybe an environment where there's at least some winning. You need to win some games, I think. Um, it's a great point you make because I think as a young player, you do need to play with, you know, with, with players who are, who are, yeah, good, like top quality players, but you need to get a couple of wins too. Like, I think but that's I, a big I, thing. Yeah. I don't know what, 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 whenever you played against Italian teams or the Italian national side, what was the general, what would have been the general feel? Well, I think the feeling would always have been that, you know, they'd probably, and if you got them later on the tournament, my feeling was always that they, as you say, they'd be down numbers, there'd be a couple of injuries would generally impact them. Um, you know, you'd think that you'd probably be able to get them fitness-wise, you'd be able to wear them down. 
um, you know, towards the last kind of 15, you know, 10, 15 minutes. It might be a tough match up to that point, uh, but you might be able to open up if you kind of did all the basics, right? If you build the scores, if you uh, held onto the ball for long periods of time, you would break them down eventually. But I would also say that there was periods where I played against really quality Italian teams. Bergamasco brothers, uh, you know, the, the, there were some brilliant rugby players there. Um, you know, you could probably argue Priest might have been the best player in the world for a long period of time, you know, or one of them anyway, right up there. So, look, there, there's definitely, I agree with you, there's certainly quality there. Um, it's, I suppose, trying to put the pathway in place. Do, do you think they're making progress on that pathway? It sounds like you think they might be in terms of, you know, how the 18s are going, how the 20s are going. Do you think they're... Yeah, well, I mean, Steve Abood has gone over there uh, the last five or six years. And for anyone that knows Steve, he, he worked for 20 plus years in, in the IRFU and, and helped out with the underage systems there. And, you know, I think that that's reaping its benefits as well. You don't get those sort of results, um, you know, by fluke. Um, but that, that's the, the challenge, isn't it? Is holding on to those young players and making sure that they develop in, in a correct way. Like, I mean, the best example I can use is whenever, you know, the couple of times, um, say boys were away for six nations camp and again like at leinster you would have just a, a constant filter if, if you if you had the senior players away you would have the academy boys fill in if the academy boys were away you'd have at least 20s guys or something you'd have a, a, a continuous of uh, continuum of players just constantly training we at the early stage when i started off with benetton anyway you would have been lucky to get 20 players you know for a training session and you know as well as anyone mm. luke you know you know, doing a 15 man run up against five people is not exactly realistic. You need to, when we're talking about top level end of sport, if you're training against five people, you're going to become slack. You know, a little mistake won't cost you anything in that training session, but in the game, it'll cost you everything. And so those things have started to change. The fact that there wasn't even, like I, before I came back over to Ireland, you know, started working in the Treviso Academy, which was only just implemented, you know, and that's the main yeah, that's, that's the main, uh, historically um, and presently, you know, the main rugby club in all of Italy. And it's one of the rare, real rugby towns. You would go to a bar and there would be rugby jerseys, rugby memorabilia, you know, but to think that there hadn't been a proper academy set up there is sort of crazy to think. Um, they have it more centralised in, in, in other places, but further away from sort of the, 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 the major teams. So now at least you've got guys, if, you know, Benetton have 23 players away for the Six Nations, which is a huge amount, um, but at least they can try and fill some of those spaces with the younger guys. Uh, and they're trying to, like you mentioned, Scotland there. And Scotland are in a lot of better situation in terms of they have a lot more players that are playing abroad. And I think that's what Italy are trying to, trying to do. They're trying to get these young guys to get exposure in, in different leagues so that it will open up opportunities for other players. Cause when you ultimately have two spots, you know, at hooker or two spots at nine, there's not much game time, particularly if you bring in a foreigner who, who, you know, you would expect to be a star player. But how so, would you, so you marry that then with the biz? So do you think the success then, so if you guys going abroad, do you think that maybe impacts the, the team performance and that you're going to say, well, do like, do we give up a couple of games here to get, you know, so say we have two really good guys, they're, we're gonna we're hoping they're gonna head off to France or to England to play in one of those clubs, get experience and exposure there. But like dear two of them players who are not as good behind, do they impact the performance of the team and thereby the you know they don't they're never really exposed to a, a, like a, a high performance culture or a, a winning culture? 
you think that impacts them or do you think do you think they're going the other way it sounds like well winning culture you can't say there's a there's a winning culture because there 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 hasn't been you know mm. and and that's something i know certainly uh, kieran would have really installed a lot in, in treviso and, and when he took over you know we were i think when i arrived in 2016 treviso was bottom of the pro 12 um, and then to, in three years to get up to the playoffs. So, he, you know, he had definitely has a winning mentality and, and it's able to, you're, you're able to, to change that, but a, there, there is a massive difference and a, another step up doing it at a club level to then international level. And that takes, that takes, you know, a bit more time. But I think the classic example of, of sort of players going away is Paolo Garbisi because there he was, first year in, in Treviso and then won, which I know a few people might dispute winning the Rainbow Cup, you know, what does that actually achieve? But ultimately, mm. you know, Treviso won it and you'd much rather win it and beat the Bulls by 30 points in a final than, than not. Um, but he, you know, obviously got an opportunity to go abroad and play his trade in, in, in a more consistent league. But ultimately that would impact, of course, Treviso would love to have uh, Paolo Garbisi if, if I was the Treviso coach I would try my best to hang on to him as much as you can but obviously the, the idea the thinking is they want to get as many players away so that they can bring that top level end experience like Sergio Parisa has had for you know he's still playing for two on age 38 you know um, trying to get that exposure and high level and bring it back into whenever they go into training camps and international games and, and all that so it's um, that's fair you know, it's it's definitely a different model than than the Irish one. You know, with centralized contracts and all that sort of stuff. It's 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 a completely different way of sort of doing things. Um, yeah. Um. So, what what is the mindset? Do you imagine of the Italian players like? What will it be like coming to Dublin now this weekend? Ian, I mean, all this talk about the Six Nations uh, lost their two opening games. What's the pressure going to be like on them? Yeah, I mean, I remember I commented last year, I think, saying that a lot of the young guys, you know, they're trying to write their own destiny. And, and that is true. But, you know, from my own experience, of course, you feel pressure of, you know, um, if, if you don't perform this week, uh, there's going to be the same conversations. If you lose by a big margin, you're, you're going to be answering the same the same questions. And that can also do funny things to people. And you're talking about winning culture. And, you know, I was fortunate enough as Luke was there more years, a lot, many more years than, than I was, but with Leinster, you, you could have, you could just tell that things were changing that I certainly knew when I put on a blue Jersey with Leinster, that we were going to win no matter who you were playing, like you were going to win. And obviously you needed to do basic, your basic job, your basics within the game and all that. And, but you knew with the blue jersey of Italy, it's it's a bit more tricky, uh, and 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 things like that can can doubt you can you, doubt can creep in, and only a little bit of doubt at the top level end of sport can make a massive difference. And if you don't have that sort of trust that you know that person's going to make that tackle, then they might make the tackle, you make the mistake. It, it's really such small small little margins at top level in sport no matter what you do can make a massive difference and just the other teams are performing or have been anyway in the last few years I think you know have been for performing exceptionally well I think it's the highest standard of the other five nations consistently that we probably had uh, since the competition ever arose 
uh, which makes it <laughs> even more difficult for Italy to try and to try and compete. So is it a case of everyone else is moving on and they're just not, you know, keeping a pace? I mean, they come into the game on one of 34 consecutive Six Nations defeats. They last won a game in 2015 um, against Scotland in Murrayfield. What are the areas that they could trouble Ireland this weekend, do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's I've been racking my brain as well, trying to think of, you know, if I'm a player, what are you thinking? But you're, you, you either fight or you don't. You either, you know, in the sense of you either control what you can control or you, or you just give up, you know, ultimately. So I think for me, just the biggest thing is just trying to build on, on what they did on the first weekend. The second game was a non-game, really. And, and I think if people are to watch it again, I mean, England actually performed really poorly, really, really poorly. And, you know, I'm not saying England were there for the taking, but certainly 33-point difference is not, is not an indication, I believe, of what that game was, was like. But simple, basic errors, just you have to cut them out. And that, that comes from a habit, you know, a habit of doing the right thing on and off the field, a habit of making sure in training that everything is is crystal clear is right and i know here and he, he doesn't leave any sort of clarity details to chance you know he, he generally plays a pretty simple game plan which would suit italy uh, but simple things of you know not catching balls or missing tackles i mean that ultimately does fall on player responsibility but that's a, a culture of doing it if you keep doing something wrong, it's just going to keep happening. Whereas if you can do something right, it just becomes second nature. And I just think that's winning becomes a habit and losing does become a habit. Um, but it's not, for me, it's not going to all of a sudden just change. You know, there has to be steps in place, which I think Italy has started doing with the identification of younger players and trying to get them international experience. And Michele Lamaro, who's the captain, he's 24, you know, He's so young to be a captain, really. I remember O'Driscoll was 24 as well. But it's not as if all of a sudden he's going to be international standard captain. Like that takes a little bit of time. So I think you mightn't see the, which I'm sure people don't want to hear, you mightn't see the rewards happening this year. I would certainly hope for next year, certainly the year after that, when you're when you've got Paolo Garbisi at 20, a captain at 24. Uh, you've got, I think the average age of last week's match squad was 23. I mean, 23, you're still, you, know, you can be a hybrid player, but in international experience, you're still very young. So there's a big difference between 23 and a 25, 26-year-old international player. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, I think it's, um, it must be daunting enough for them coming over. Like, Aviva is a, is a tough place to go for, for any team. They're, Ireland have their tails up there at the moment and, and a very strong record, I think, there. So don't envy them. Like, I think if you were looking at the game, you'd be saying, okay, well, you know, what really troubles the, the, the Irish team? You know, and, and it's still going to be at the rook. Like, it's still, if you could yeah. slow them down, you saw what France did last week, you know, you, you can upset their timing. You know, they can look pretty ordinary like most teams can. Um. You know, I think if you match them physically in the tight exchanges, if you don't let their forwards bully and, you know, and and, and let them playmate, um, you know, there are probably two areas you're going to say to yourself, yeah, look, you know, if we can do those things in open play. We could probably stifle them. They might make a few mistakes. They made a few against France. Um, and then, look, they didn't look insurmountable at, at uh, scrum and line net time. I mean, they're, the Irish guys are surely are going to be thinking the same thing this week, saying we need to improve all those areas from last week. Of course, it's a different challenge. 
playing mm-hmm. Italy from the Irish perspective. But the Italians, need to, you know, I'm sure they'd be looking at it thinking, you know, they're areas we can all attack. And if we do well, if we, if we attack those areas, they might not play Johnny Sexton this week. They might not be as confident. Uh, there might be a few young guys in there. This thing, you know, it could be tight. If it's tight around 65, 70 minutes, they could get edgy. Like, there's no, there's no reason why in a two-horse race, you know, you ever go into something without a chance. And they're probably, I don't know if you feel the same, uh, Ian, from having watched a couple of games so far, but if I was the Italian coach, if like I, I'd be looking at those things saying, okay, but there's opportunities there, you know, and I'd be showing the team that in the video saying, well, what do you think about this? Do, do they look unbeatable here? I, I don't think they do. I think we can do that too, uh, but we don't do it consistently. But, um, you know, why not? Why why can't we start this weekend? Do, do you think? No, of course. Yeah, yeah. No. What you're saying is, is yeah, is absolutely spot on. I think Kieran, in an interview, I think before the Six Nations, was just talking about sort of values within Italian rugby. And, you know, you remember what, when Italy sort of, the more glory years uh, of, of when they sort of first came into the Six Nations and maybe the early two, you know, from 2010, two or three year period there, they're always physical. Their, uh, their line out and scrum was, was pretty immense. And their, their defence generally was pretty good. Where they struggled was a 9 and 10 axis and, and backs to maybe kill off or finish off a situation that they that they created. And, and Italy's lost that a little bit as well, has lost that identity of meanness and, and, and toughness. I won't say toughness, but like meanness and, and physicality and, and all that. It, yeah, of course, if you bring that into an international game, then... It's obviously a lot more difficult. Joey Carberry won't have as much time. You saw, I mean, I thought he played pretty well against France, considering the ball was not exactly fantastic and it never was going to be with, with the, the French pack. But of course, if Italy think they can slow it down, um, you know, they, they they can cause Ireland a few more troubles. But I think Ireland, the way they're playing, the speed in which they're playing, the decision-making, you know, it, it'll obviously be a very, very difficult challenge for Italy and, and I'm not trying to pull the one over anyone's eyes saying, you know, Ireland will win by five points. I think that you said 40 points earlier. I think that's probably a fair, a fair reflection on, on, on the bookies, where the game The bookies generally don't get it too far around, do they? No, <laughs> no, no, they couldn't. So I think, you know, from an Irish point of view, I think it's, it's been a breath of fresh air seeing how they, they've played. And I know Mike, Cat uh, got a lot, a lot of stick just for the Irish attack and, I was fortunate enough to work with work with him, him and as well, and I'm happy to see him. Um, you know, I'm sure it's a coaching group as well, but you can definitely see some of the stuff that he's trying to bring in there. And, and um, you know, Ireland are playing a really good brand of rugby. It's just for them. I'm sure you've, you've spoken about it before. It's just trying to unlock when you get big physical teams like South Africa, France. How can Ireland try and stifle their 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 strengths in that uh, in those particular encounters? So. Uh, I think it'll just be more of the same for Ireland, trying to blood people in, uh, get more test exposure. And I just hope from Italy's point of view that it's not lambs to the slaughter, because if you if you go in with that mentality, you might as well not show up. At the end of the day, you're still representing Italy, you're representing your country. And you just want, well, what I want to see is that just basic things are done correctly and that, you know, your your uh, non-negotiables of your, your tackle, your work, Great, your, your attitude, your communication, uh, which a lot of the time you can't fault, but that just needs to step up uh, dramatically to, to, to compete. 
Well, Kieran Crowley really should have you in the dressing room with them on Sunday in a uh, great words there. <laughs> I have no idea. No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> okay, Ian, listen, thanks for joining us. And uh, that's it from Luke and myself on the left wing. I'll be back on Friday for the immediate reaction to the Ireland team after it's announced. Don't forget to listen and follow the show on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast from. Thanks for listening.